good morning, everyone. I am not Bren. Um, so this, so you might imagine, like, what does Bren look like if he's shaved? It's, it's not me. It's not this. So, but you can you can picture what that might look like uh, another time. My name is uh, Dusty. I'm a pastor uh, in Boise, um, and uh, more importantly, I'm, I'm Bren's friend. Um, I get together with Bren pretty often, and, and we pray for each other and um, talk about God together. Uh, and it's it's really neat to to have a couple pastors that that uh, have your back and um, stand with you uh, uh, during all kinds of things. And so, uh, so, so Brent asked me to come and share with you this morning, and uh, he did something pretty, pretty unique and, and great, is, uh, is he gave me kind of the green light to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And so he told me, just, uh, just pray and ask God and, and just, just uh, speak on, on what you think God wants to speak to Rev 22 this morning. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, and so it's, it's a great privilege for me to be here uh, with you this morning, and, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that, that God will speak uh, to you today. And so um, a number of years back, I was at a pastor's retreat, and, and we had some time off during the day of this retreat, and one of the pastors was familiar with the area, and so he had this great idea and was familiar enough with the area um, to, to suggest to us that we should go deep into this cave, spelunking, okay? And so, so he said, this, there's this really neat cave, you know, a, a mile, you can go a mile into it, um, and there's this, you know, underground river and stuff that was really neat. And so I thought that's kind of like kind of a neat idea. Um, I mean, we're, like I said, in Wyoming. Um, this is no offense to anyone from Wyoming, but it's not the most exciting states. And I can say that because I was born there. Um, and so, so we were we were there, and, and so we said, okay, that's good. So, so I got my little uh, my headlamp, and I got some sweatpants, and I decided to say, let's let's go do this. Okay, one one thing you need to know a little bit about me, um, and and going spelunking in dark caves, uh, is is I'm claustrophobic, and so um, so which you know don't necessarily go hand in hand together. So my claustrophobia at least started, at least I can I can uh, recollect is is when I was a, a little kid. Um, I, I have an older brother. See, and, and what older brothers tend to do, uh, any older brothers in the crowd? We've got a couple. Okay, so, so at least this is what I figure from my older brother, just based on experience, is the older brother, uh, his job is to torment the younger brother. At least this is what I experienced. So I'm just assuming it must be true. And, uh, and so, so uh, uh, in our room, we shared a room together, and my grandpa had made this really neat bunk and so, so we had the, the upper bunk, the lower bunk, and then below the lower bunk was a trundle, okay? It was one of those little trundles on wheels, and you could pull it out, and you could store things in there. And so, so my brother thought the thing that we should store it in there was the younger brother. And so, so we used to, you know, we would pull it out and stuff and kind of get in there and then go in for a second and, and get pulled out. And so, uh, so my brother convinced me that, hey, you should let me push you under in the trundle and go underneath. And so I said, okay. You know, maybe younger brothers are just not very smart or something. I don't know what the deal is. Should have saw this one coming. Um, and so, so we, we, I got in the trundle, and my brother pushed me in. And th- this is when I discovered that I had claustrophobia, right? So I get pushed in. You know, the wall's there. I can't move. And, and I didn't like it. Uh, and, you know, I started breathing heavy stuff like that. And so, so, so I called out for my brother. You know, my brother's name is Jason. I'm like, Jay. You can pull me out now. Jay! <laughs> he was gone. He was gone. He just left me under there. And so I started screaming and panicking and stuff like that. 
And, uh, um, and so I figured out I'm claustrophobic. So, so we're going in this cave, right? And so I thought, okay, I, I can do this. I can do this. So I'm going to overcome my fears. I'm going to go down in there in, in this dark cave. And so we start off, and, and the very first, just to get into the cave is this, like, really tight hole. Like, if, if you were a big guy, like, you would not make it. You'd get lodged in that cave or in that, in that hole. And so fortunately, I'm, I'm a fairly small guy. I was able to get through, and, okay, I did okay. And so a ways in there, there's this section of this cave. Okay, and I'll just describe it for you. Okay, it's, it was about a quarter of a mile long um, of the spot where you had to crawl under and you had about this much clearance. So you could maybe roll over without, you know, brushing your shoulder against, against the ceiling. And you had about 15 feet here and you crawled under there for a quarter of a mile. Okay, and so I was doing pretty good going through a couple spot clo- tight uh, spots and stuff like that. But I get to this section and, and you get about halfway into that quarter of a mile, you know, a couple hundred yards in, and, and all you can, like, see behind you is, you know, short cave wall, right? And you're army crawling it because that's all the room you got uh, and such. You're army crawling down there, and all you see in front of you is just this short wall, and all you see behind it, and, and that claustrophobia, like, it just starts to press in. A- any other claustrophobia people in here? Two brave people are like, yeah, it's me too. Okay. Everyone else is a lot braver, but you're probably afraid of heights, and I can do heights, so it's okay. And so, so I'm in there, and so, and so when, you, when, you, when you get fear kind of pressing on you, and at least claustrophobia, um, like you can't breathe. It's like, the, like, it's like the air just got really thin. It's like everything feels like it's just kind of pressing on you. You start like thinking crazy things like, wow, this would be a great place for an earthquake to happen, right? And, and so you, you start thinking those things, and it, it, just, it just kind of all presses in on you. Now, I want to talk about life a little bit this morning, because I think we go through different seasons of life where it kind of feels that way, right? Like the air is gone. feels like walls are pressing in on you. feels like things are just not going the way you you thought they were going to go. I'm going to spend some time this morning in Psalm 130, because I think the author of this psalm it's talking from a place, this despair, this depth. And so I want us to go to Psalm 130. I think there might be some people with Bibles. If you, if you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand, and they'll come and, and give you one. If not, I want you to turn to, to Psalm 130. And I think we get this picture of someone where, where the world is kind of crashing in on them. Here's how he starts out the psalm. It says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths, out of a a deep place. And he he cries out to God. Now, this psalm, we don't don't really know who the author is. Um, All we know, there's a little heading above that says it was a psalm of ascents. And what a psalm of ascents was, uh, when when the Jews uh, were in Israel... Uh, back a couple thousand years ago, um, they would all do a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or they would attempt to do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, uh, because that was the only place they could get sacrifices done and be made right with God. And so they would all try to go there. I, I had the privilege to go to, to Israel uh, when I was in college, and, and we read through the Psalm of Ascents as we were going there. And so, so they would kind of read one each day as they were traveling on their journey, and, and they would read through the Psalm of Ascents. And you get this picture of the author here uh, it's going through a really dark time. 
He's going through a really difficult season in life. And, and he has this probably idea as he's going towards Jerusalem that uh, he's going to get to the place where, where God is. He's going to get to a place where, where God can help him, where he can maybe get some resolution of what's going on. And so I want us to have that in the background of, of this, this pilgrimage, this journey, because that's kind of how our life is anyway as we're moving towards uh, God and the things that he has for us. But we see that this person is, is in, a, in a dark place, in a place of depths. Now, one thing when you're in a place of depths is, is you can't see very well. Okay? When you're a mile inside of a cave and you turn off all the lights, there, there's this really odd thing that you can do is you can turn off all the lights and hold your hand up right in front of your face, and you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face because there is absolutely zero light in this dark places. And when that happens, something happens inside of you, um, and, uh, and you feel disoriented, right? Because you, you don't know where things are. You almost feel like you're losing balance. Um, you know, just like if you were to try walking around in the dark, okay? You just lose a sense of, of, uh, of your orientation. And, and I want to talk about three seasons of life this morning that we, we all go through. Um, we're going to kind of spend most of our time talking about the second one, but the first stage of life that we go through is this the stage of life, and, and this is someone smarter than me thought these terms up, um, but, but um, you go through this lifetime of orientation. Okay, orientation is those times of life where life makes sense, where life is good, okay, where up is up, down is down. You do this, and, and you get this. You work hard, you get rewarded with payment, okay? You're nice to your wife, and she's nice to you back. Okay, all those kind of nice things where, where life is just good. It just makes sense. It's just, it's just operating like it's supposed to. Okay, there's no injustices. It's just, okay, life is good. Okay, and you can remember those seasons of life. And they're, oh, man, we, we look, kind of looked longingly back at those. Oh, life was so good when we had this and it was nice. Okay, but then we go through these other stages of life. Um, kind of like going into the cave when you're claustrophobic, kind of like when you go through rough times where you have this disorientation, where kind of what you thought you knew about life changes, where, where you get thrown the curveball, where things don't go the way you anticipated or hoped for. Okay, and unfortunately, this is a, a big chunk of our life, okay, a lot bigger than we thought. And if you've lived more than about 10 minutes, you've experienced this disorientation of life. Okay, as, as we mature and, and get older, we go through these seasons where, man, life, okay, I thought I knew this, but, but life is throwing this at me. And, and it's often filled with pain. It's often filled with, with despair. It's often filled with this inner turmoil. Like, man, I, I don't understand why, why it is this way. And, and we often end up questioning God and, and wondering, what, God, what is going on here? And I think it's at this point where, where this author here is crying out before God. Look what he says. He says, out of the depths I cry out to you, Lord. And what I'm going to talk about this morning, I, I don't really have a great plan to say, well, here's how you get out of that. You just do A, B, and C, and then life is lollipops, rainbows, and unicorns, and everything's good. Okay, I wish I could say that. That would be a, a great, uh, helpful message if, if someone can figure that out. But life isn't that way. And so... Really, the, the thing I think this author gets right when he cries out is, is at least he's crying out to God. Okay, out of the depths I cry out to you, Lord. I think he's going to at least the right place. He's crying out to God. 
He's crying out to someone who might be able to help him. And here's his cry. It's a really interesting cry. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? His cry to God is, is, a, is a cry for mercy. Hey, often when things go really bad for me, I like come up with a list of things I want God to do for me, right? Okay, God, this really stinks in my life. How about you do this over here? And, and, and I think we, we have a misunderstanding of what God is trying to do in our lives and really how the, how the world works. Because a cry for mercy, a cry for mercy by definition is, is when we don't get something we deserve. Okay, that's what mercy is, right? Mercy is, is the person, okay, and, and I, I think I have five kids, and so I think I like dad and kids a lot. That, that goes through my mind all the time. And, and so, so I think of mercy um, and, and I experienced this as, as a kid myself. I think of mercy of like the little kid saying, Dad, don't spank me, okay? At least that was my life. So when I was a kid, my dad is like six foot four, big dude, okay? And I was like kind of a late bloomer, so I was like a little guy, okay? I, I broke 100 pounds and five foot tall as a freshman in high school, okay? So I was kind of the runt, uh, late bloomer type of guy. And so, anyway, so, so my dad, uh, when I was growing up, my dad had this like belt with this big buckle on it. Okay, and uh, we, we were kind of rednecks. Not kind of, we were. That's how we rolled. And so we <laughs> think, think Duck Dynasty, only Montana. And anyway, that's, that's kind of how we were uh, and stuff. And so, but, but my dad, with this buckle, um, uh, when we were misbehaving, he could whip that thing off, like with one hand in one motion, right? And so we'd be like my brother and I messing around, punching each other and stuff like that. And my dad would like just grab it and whip it out. And immediately something would change within us. Okay, our desire for mercy went up exponentially. We would assume the position of sainthood, right? Yeah, we're not doing anything wrong. We're, we're just praying over here. It's all good, okay? And so, so, so when I think of mercy, I think of, of, of the kid like, Dad, don't spank me. <laughs> Please don't spank me. But we, what we misunderstand what, what God is trying to do and accomplish in our lives. And, and I think this author is understanding the desire for mercy because all of disorientation, all of pain in life is connected with sin, okay? Now, now it's not necessarily directly connected to your sin, but it's connected with sin. I want us to imagine how, how God intended for us to be, okay? And I want us to take us back a little bit back in time, okay, uh, back to the Garden of Eden. And we have this picture of the first people who lived on the earth, and the first people who lived on the earth, okay, just imagine for a second, okay, they, they had all the food they could want, okay, life was good, life was perfect, they had everything they needed, the guy and girl are running around naked in this tropical garden paradise, sounds kind of nice, right, so sin enters the world, they, they go against what God has designed for them, and there's a curse on the world, okay, God puts a curse on the world. Okay, because of this, we experience pain. We experience difficulties, every single one of us. 
And so, so if we're going to walk through this stuff, we've we got to acknowledge what it is. Because a lot of people, they get mad at God for not doing what God wanted them to do, right? Because we cry out to God. We don't cry out for mercy. We cry out for God, fix my junk. Fix my stuff. Give me more money or make me happy, right? That's kind of what we, we, we like to go to. But look what the author says. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? The author recognizes what puts us in these depths, what puts us in, the, in, in these pits of despair. He recognizes that at the cause of all of it is sin, okay? Often, we put ourselves in these places, right? You lie to people, they find out you lie to them. How's your relationship going to be? Probably not so good, okay? If you walk up to someone and punch them in the face, it's not going to go well. So sometimes it's our own sins. Sometimes it's our own mistakes that put us there. Sometimes it's other people's sins against us that puts us in these depths and, and places of despair, these pits. But this author is just acknowledging, man, we, we need God's mercy because really all of us are contributors to this. He says, who, who could stand before God? That's a rhetorical question. And a rhetorical question means there's an obvious answer. And the obvious answer is, no one could. Everyone's in the same boat. You don't know anyone who has a perfect life. Yeah, we don't know anyone like that. Even Jesus, who lived perfectly, subjected himself to a broken world and felt the effects of sin. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? No one can stand before God without guilt. But it begins this, this idea of, of, of hope. That's pretty despairing. Okay, who could stand? Well, no one can. We're all messed up. We're all going to suffer. It's all going to go bad. But look what he says. He says, but with you, there is forgiveness. Okay, but God, you're, you're different. You have something for us. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. There, there's this glimmer of hope that's getting started to inject in this text here, this story. We can just picture this person of despair and he's walking towards Jerusalem saying, God, I, I just hope you can do something in my life. I acknowledge that the world is broken. I acknowledge that I'm even part of this broken problem. But, 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 but we have hope in this place. But with you, there's forgiveness. Okay, forgiveness is a term that, that, that says, here's how we can deal with our sin. Here's how we can deal with our relationships. Here's how we can just deal with each other, with life, that we can endure it. And with a purpose, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Okay, God has an intention for how he made us. God intended for us to, to serve him. And so when we go through these things, we, we often misunderstand what it is that God is trying to do in our lives. Okay, God is actually trying to form a people. He's trying to form people who love him. And so when Jesus came down from heaven to earth, he, he accomplished two things. The first thing he accomplished was, what does it look like to be a human as God intended. Like, what would that look like? 
it looks like Jesus. He gives us this model. What would it look like if we were really to walk in? Lance talked about walking in our identity in Christ. If we were really to walk in who we are and who God made us, intended us to be, it would look like Jesus. But the thing he also did is he also made a way in which we could actually live that way. Okay, it's one thing to be like, hey, you need to do this. But then be uh, uh, given the, the power and ability to accomplish that. That's what God is doing. And so he, he offers this way to make us right. And it's the ultimate picture of what Jesus came to do. Often we want our circumstances to be right. We want to feel better. But I think this author is acknowledging what's even more important. That's for us to be right with God. And so we, we begin to see this posture change of, of what this person is going to do about this. So here's what he says. After he says, but with you there's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. And live in that intention. And so while he does that, here's what he says. I wait for you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. His posture is to wait. Now, this is not something uh, that we like to do as a society. Okay, we, we like our stuff fixed and we, and we like to have it immediately, right? Okay, we don't like to wait in lines. Okay, it was just Black Friday which means, at least in my head, because I, I got convinced to go with my wife one time uh, shopping on Black Friday. And all I remember was there's like gazillions of people and this like line that I waited in forever, okay, to buy like a stupid toy. It was like not worth it. I'm sure it was a great deal. Okay, and so you just, we just hate to wait. Okay, we, we live in a place like Boise because, at least for me, I don't want to live in a big city because big cities have like Lots of people, and you have to wait in, like, cars and lines and all kinds of stuff. We don't even like to wait for our food. That's why we have microwaves, right? I want to eat this. I only want to wait 30 seconds, okay? So some genius said, hey, let's zap this with a bunch of probably really bad stuff and so we can eat it faster. Okay, we hate to wait as a society. We just don't like it. Okay, someone even came up with this idea like, oh, Waiting five minutes for my coffee to percolate, that's too long. I'm going to invent a little Keurig where I can just like push the thing down, press the button so I can have it instant. I want it instant. Everything has got to be instant. But we, we see something different here. With, with someone who's walking through life, we understand that our problems don't change just like that, do they? Okay, our relationships, they, they, they just don't automatically have a change in them. Okay, our, our, our old habits, they don't necessarily change quick. And so there's a little bit of wisdom that's growing in here. Okay, as we get older, hopefully we get wiser, right? As, as you get older, hopefully you learn and say, okay, this is how, this is how it, it needs to work in order for my life to work. And so he says, I, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Have you ever had your whole being care about anything? I just think of that. My whole being, every cell Every little ounce of who you are was waiting, is what he says. My 
whole being waits for the Lord. And in His Word, I put my, my hope. I'm going I'm to put my hope in a place. I'm going to put my trust in some place. We'll talk more about this in a second. It says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He says it twice, and when the Bible says something twice, you usually need to pay attention because the author's trying to make something a point. So we get, get a picture of this, this person who's waiting, and he gives us this example of a watchman. And now the job of a watchman, so, so the cities back in the day, back in Israel, uh, they were fortified cities. So, so if you were to go there now, there's, there's, uh, if you go to these ancient cities, there's big giant walls around the cities. And so what they would do is, is uh, they would be able to be protected if they had these big walls. And so they would have watchmen on top of the walls making sure that no one's coming who's not supposed to be coming. Okay? They didn't want to be uh, attacked and pillaged and their stuff taken and killed. Okay? And so they would have these watchmen and they would take you know, night shifts. Okay? Who's going to take the night shift? Okay, and so, so the watchman was anticipating, saying, okay, I've just got to endure the night, and hopefully no raiders will come and attack and try to kill us, and so I'm going to make it till the morning, and, and usually by the time the morning comes, you're kind of in a place of safety again. And so we, we get this, this sense of, of waiting um, like a watchman. Okay, so you've got to have this picture in mind. So now there's, there's two things about a watchman that, that we need to, to recognize. Okay, the first thing, is, is the watchman waits in anticipation, okay? I wait like the watchman waits for the morning, okay? They were anticipating the morning to come because that's when safety is going to come. And so I, I want to encourage this this morning because I, I recognize that probably in a room this, this big with this many people, many of you are, are in stages of, of the pits, okay? Despair, depression, difficulties are just right there. And we need to have this sense of anticipation. Okay, the other thing about a watchman is his night watch is only temporary. Okay, so, so the watchman watches with anticipation and with this idea that it, it's only going to last for the night. There's, it's only a season. So whatever we're going through, whatever difficulties we're struggling with, it's only going to last for a season. Okay, and with that, we can have this sense of hope. Okay, because we only have to endure it for a season, but with anticipation that, that God might do something. Okay, the, the last thing I want us to realize about a watchman is, is that while we're going through these times, a watchman had a job to do. Okay, so this isn't just a passive image where this person's just kind of sitting there waiting, taking a nap. I'll just go take a nap and God will fix this for me. Okay, if, if, if you don't have a job and you want to get a job and ask God for a job, I mean, maybe taking a nap will work for you, but likely you're going to have to fill out some job applications. Okay, so th this... This uh, image here is it's not a passive image because the watchman, if he was to, to make it through this, he got to watch, right? <laughs> or else the bad guys are going to come in and get you. Okay, so, so it's not this passive image. So we watch with anticipation, knowing that it's, it, it's temporary, but we have a job to do. We have stuff we need to do if we're going to make it through this. It's not a passive thing. We need to be in God's Word. We need to be seeking Him in prayer. 
If, if there's something physical, you need, you need to do it. If there's something spiritual you need to do, you need to be praying and seeking God. Likely it's a combination of both. But it's not this passive thing. And we need to understand that God's time is a little different. Okay? Likely, your, your seasons of despair are going to take longer than you want them to. Wish I had better news. Wish I could just say, well, you say these four words in this magical prayer, and then poof, it'll, it'll get better. But often these seasons of despair, these seasons of difficulties, they last days, weeks, months, years. It's just how they last. But he ends with this, this great thought. He ends with this great thought. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. He's, he's coming on to something with this idea. It's only God that can really help us. Put your hope in the Lord. There was, there was this thought in the Old Testament all throughout that only God can really save people. Only God can really help us. Okay, we put our hope in a lot of different things. Okay, here's how you know where your hope is. Whenever something bad happens, what do you do? Okay, and we, and we try a whole bunch of different things. Some people try alcohol. Some people try eating. Some people try relationships. Some people try buying stuff. Okay, because we think, well, if I, if I just do this thing or have this thing, I'm, I'm going to feel happy again. I'm going to have what I've been missing, and, and so I'm going I'm to put my hope that this is going to fix it. Okay, the problem with putting our hope in, in people or stuff is, is, that, is that they fail us, right? Like a cool pair of shoes, ladies, it's only going to be cool so long. Okay, it might make you happy for a second. Okay, going to watch the BSU game and watch them win is, is fun. Wow, but what about next week? But look what it says about God. Look what it says about Him. When we put our hope in the Lord, for with the Lord, or for the, with the Lord is unfailing love. You know, everything you put your hope in is going to fail you but God. Everything you put your hope in will fail you except for God. And sometimes we even feel like God fails us because He doesn't give us what He wants. That's just often we lack the, the maturity to understand what God is trying to do. Because we think a lot of times, well, God just wants me to be happy. You've probably heard of that. Parents, well, I just want my kids to be happy. I'm not really as concerned now as a dad of five about my kids being happy. What would make my kids happy is to have them eat candy all the time. That would make them happy. They would totally be happy if I just said, oh, candy bars for dinner. Okay. What kind of dad would I be if I fed my kids candy bars for dinner every night? A bad one, right? Give them some meat or something, veggies. But with the Lord is unfailing love because God is going to give us the love that we need. And sometimes love is difficult. Sometimes love looks like discipline. 
Sometimes love looks like not getting what you want. Sometimes love is just not what you had in mind and hoped for and anticipated. But God is going to give us unfailing love because God wants to do, if you are a follower of Jesus, God is wanting to do something in your life. He is wanting you to make you look like Jesus. And so he's going to help and put those things in your life. Okay, And I'm not going to say that necessarily everything is, is like that. But often, most things, God is trying to do something with you. God is allowing these things for whatever reason. And so put your hope in him then. For the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Okay, redemption, it, it's not really a fancy theology term. Like, ooh, redemption, that sounds very churchy. Okay, redemption just means it's a slave term. Okay, it means someone who was a slave who couldn't get out of slavery. And so someone would come and give them money and redeem them from slavery. And that was one of the main uses of redemption. And so it's this picture of a slave being set free. And this is what the author is trying to say. So there's, there's this God that we can put our hope in. And he has unfailing love for us. And he actually has the ability to set us free. It's this picture of us being in these dark places, these pits. Okay? And it's this picture that we can't get out of them ourselves. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. And it's this picture of like all we can really do is, is reach our hand up. It's like all we can do. And we have this God who redeems, who can reach down into our depths, into our pits, and pull us out of it. This is, this is the picture that, that the author is giving here. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. There's one place we can go to have a hope. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning. So I know some of you are full of despair. Some of you are, are full of depression uh, in a spot that you just don't want to be in. In a place where, where you never even imagined you would end up. But there you are. And when we get in these places, the air gets sucked out. We feel hopeless. We feel helpless. It doesn't feel like we can do anything. One thing I just figured out is I can't change other people and make them do the things I want them to do. And often we think, oh, I'm just going to pray for different circumstances. But I think God wants us to pray for something different. I think he wants to have us hope in him and pray that God changes our hearts, pray that God will do something inside of us. And so I want to encourage you to have an anticipation that God's able. You know what, when I, when I, when I read the Bible... I read the Bible about this God who can do anything, who loves me and wants to walk with me. I read God's Word and it says that He's overcome the world. Okay, we celebrate Christmas about the story about God becoming a person, okay, later to die on a cross to save us. I read in my word that, that he can do more than we can even imagine, more than we can ask or think according to the power of this work within us is how he'd 
the apostle describes it. But yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think a lot of times we really believe God. We really believe that he's able to do these things. So I want to encourage us this morning to hope with anticipation. Say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start believing that God is able to do that, and I'm going to lay my life down before him. I'm going to believe that, that he, can, he can pull me out of these places. Okay, but I'm going to come to him on, on his terms and not my terms. Okay, how many times have we gone to God and say, God, I want you to do this, but I want to still do what I want. Okay, if you're a mom or dad and your kids try to do that, Mom, I want to go to the movies, clean your room. Mom, I still want to go to the movies. Did you clean your room? No. Then you don't get to go to the movies. It's pretty simple. We make things very complicated. But I want us to hope in anticipation that God is able to do things in our lives, that He's able to take us out of these pits. Okay? What that may mean is it may mean He will change your circumstances. But what it also might mean is He might keep you right in the same spot and He'll just change your heart. One of my favorite uh books of the Bible is the, is the book of Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, it's, it's this book written by the Apostle Paul. And the theme of the whole book is to rejoice. So you'll just read it. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And you think, oh man, life must be good for Paul when he's writing this. He's, he's a happy guy. And then you start doing some digging about where Paul was when he was writing this book. Does anyone know where Paul wrote the book of Philippians? He was in prison. Paul wrote the book of Philippians about rejoicing when he's in prison. Okay, you get stories of, of Peter and John. They get sent to prison. What are they doing? They're like singing some worship songs. They had a church service, and they're in prison, and it, and it doesn't make any sense because hope is something that God gives to people. It's something that you can't just, oh, I'm just going to be hopeful. We need to ask God, God, do something in our lives where I can be filled with your hope. It's a fruit of Him filling our lives. We sang this song about how Jesus paid it all. Jesus is able. This is why we celebrate Christ. This is why Jesus is a big deal. I know in this church, it's because Jesus is able to do things in our lives. He's able to redeem us. He's able to fill us with peace where there is, shouldn't be no peace. He's able to fill us with hope when we're hopeless. He's able to fill us with love when we, we don't feel like we can feel anything else. And I want us to believe that this morning. I want us to encounter this living God that says, I want to encounter the people that I love. And if the Spirit of God is inside of you, that, that feeling of peace and hope can come on us and encourage us and walk with us as we go through these difficulties, as we go through these trials. Because God is actually with us. And so we can go through life. We can endure the stuff as long as we know we have God with us. And this is why we can be filled with hope. This is why uh, we, we have this God with His unfailing love, full of redemption, able to redeem us from our sins, able to redeem us from the effects of sin in the world. And so I encourage you this morning to be filled with hope. We're going to sing a couple songs uh, to close our time this morning. 
And so, so the band can, can come on up. And, and I, I want us to sing with, with a couple different postures. Maybe, maybe life has been going great. You're in this time of orientation where life just makes sense. Everything's great. World is your oyster. Everything's going well. And if that's you, I want you to sing with some gratitude. We just had this holiday. You may have heard of it, Thanksgiving. Maybe be thankful. That's, that's a good idea. Be thankful. Maybe you're in this time of disorientation where things do not seem right. And I want us to sing asking for God's peace, for God's hope, for God's presence in our lives because sometimes that's all we can do. We've had those times where, at least in my life, where all I could do was cry. Like that was the only thing that actually came out of my body. I didn't have anything smart to say. I didn't even have any great prayer to say. I just cried. Kind of resonate with this guy here. Like, I cried out to God. That's all I had. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you just need to cry before him. Okay, and this final stage that, that we have is, is the stage where, where God reorients us, where we get a reorientation, where we understand a little bit more about suffering. We understand a little bit more about pain. We understand a little bit more about how God can do something. He can take something that's bad. Right? Another way we, we use the word redeemed is when something bad has happened, and it's redeemed to something good. Okay? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. One thing that matters is God is good and that He's worthy. That's why we sing songs. We don't sing songs for doing something so we can get something out of God. We do it all because God's worthy of our praise. God's worthy of our attention. God's worthy of our admiration. So with these thoughts in mind, I, I want us to, in these last couple songs, press in to God. Press into Him. Cry out to Him. Be thankful towards Him. But just remember what He's able to do. And remember that He is with us. Let's sing.